Uh, God is doing great things in this church, and, and uh, so much more yet to come. But we are, and we were, we just finished with one of the longest books in the Bible, the book of Jeremiah. Long book. And we were in that for several weeks, and then we went into Lamentations. And we, we read about, really, the, the, it's all in the title, the lament of God's people as Judah as they are uh, deported to Babylon, as they are overtaken by the Babylonians after a, after a long season of not listening to God, not listening to God. God, in his love, disciplined his people, and he gave them a wake-up call. We're going we're gonna to read about that today. How does that relate to Palm Sunday? Well, that remains to be seen. Um, we are starting 1 Corinthians tomorrow, which is... Uh, right after the Gospels, right after the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, and it addresses all kinds of interesting questions. Just this week, uh, we'll be looking at unity and disunity in the church, lack of submission to authority, immorality, discipline in the church. There's a lot of problems in the, in the church in Corinth that Paul was addressing. Lawsuits in the church. Is this relevant? Do we still do that? Um, marriage and divorce, um, unbelieving spouses, Christian liberty, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, all of this is in our reading for this week. So if you want to grow, I'm assuming that if you're here, there's something in you that wants to encounter and know God, and reading the Bible uh, that God's given to us and preserved for us is, is the way we do it. As God breathes on his word, it becomes wisdom and understanding for us. And so I encourage you to jump in. The program is called Mission 119, and it is a 10-minute Bible reading that's read to you from an app, and then also a 10-minute commentary that you can listen to while you're commuting to work, to and from work five days a week. Weekends are off. But go to mission119.org. Go in the Apple App Store or into the Android Store and download the app, Mission 119, and you can just begin reading at week 54, I believe. So, but we are, we are, uh, we just finished up Lamentations, and that was just a long, a long book, and a very, in many ways, a very tragic book where we see another example of, uh, of, of God giving so many opportunities to a people and, and, and telling them the truth and telling them, walk in this way and you'll be blessed. And them saying, no, we have a better way. We're fine as we are. Until finally, uh, the consequences that were promised kind of fall upon them, which is very sad. But uh, for this week, as I said, uh, we are going to be just walking with Jesus. And so... Really, uh, this Thursday, Friday, and Sunday are going to be a great time just for us to come together and, and experience afresh, you know, what Jesus did for us. And then coming together on Easter Sunday, a week from today, uh, as we consider the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said that. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus said, do you believe this? Um, un unbelievable. Jesus, the first fruits of people who, who have died. And in the future, those of us who are in Christ, we are, we are not going to, to die. We are going to be raised to life in Christ and be resurrected with him. And the evidence of that is right in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. But uh, today we're going to be reflecting on this special day, which has become known as Palm Sunday. Although, I will say that in the passage I've chosen for today, palms are not mentioned, interestingly. It says they threw their coats down on the road, as far as I can tell. I may have missed something. So I was thinking maybe we could start calling it Coat Sunday, which it just doesn't have as much of a ring to it, you know? Um, we're going to read about the triumphal entry of Christ uh, in the book of Luke. So we're going to be in Luke 19, uh, 28 
through 44. This passage called Jesus Comes to Jerusalem as King. Uh, in, in the NIV Bible, it's called the Triumphal Entry into Jerusalem. So let's read together. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This story mirrors so perfectly the story of, of the kingdom of Judah in Jeremiah's day that we read about in Lamentations this past week, um, where God is doing a, a great and new thing and speaking to his people, and they're just not listening. They're just not listening. And, and God, Jesus being God in the flesh, looks upon those people and says, if you only knew what would bring you peace, it's me. But now it's, it's too late. And Jesus here prophesies before uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that the temple will be destroyed, which happened in 70 AD. And he lets... Uh, he says, not one stone will be left on another because you missed out on this great thing that God is doing in history. Now, thankfully, we have not missed out on that. That's why we're looking at this today, to remember what Jesus did so that we can, be, um, so that we can find what would bring us peace, which is Jesus Christ and his work in our lives even today. It's interesting that this is called the triumphal entry and the... the uh, Jesus coming through Jerusalem as the king in the title. Because up until this point, and certainly afterwards, Jesus has actually been rejected by most everybody. There were, there was, there were some people that followed him, but largely Jesus had been rejected up to this point. Not only was he rejected, but there were people trying to take him out to kill him. Uh, the religious leaders of the day, the church of the day, the high teachers, the Pharisees, uh, and the teachers of the law. Um, triumphal entry? Well, it certainly was a triumphal entry, but um, it wasn't uh, one of many instances of Jesus being accepted and listened to. And so the people are just rejoicing, saying, Hosanna to God. And Jesus uh, 
is, is lamenting in his heart as he rides on this colt. And he's saying to himself, saying to God, as he looks out in this celebrating crowd who just never understood him and were rejecting him, even in this moment, if you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes. And he just laments how uh, this, the, the temple will be destroyed in 70 AD. So a happy moment for Jesus' followers. But as for Jesus, his face is set like a flint, it says in Isaiah 50. Jesus is resolute. Jesus is walking in the predetermined plan of God. No one took Jesus' life from him. No one, no, one, no one, though people took hold of him. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the people. It was not the Romans. It was the plan of God. He willingly laid down his life as a plan to save not only Jewish people, not only priests, but everybody who would look to him. And that's the age we live in now. So a happy moment uh, for the crowd, a celebration of something they didn't quite understand. Uh, for Jesus, um, his face was set like a flint. He was moving. It says in Hebrews 12:2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy of Jesus was having a people for himself. That was the joy of Jesus. It was what God had been working on throughout from the beginning of the world until the present day that we live in right now. Um, for the history of the world, uh, Jesus, uh, God, has desired a people for himself. And the joy set before him was making a way to finally and definitively have that people. Where others had faltered, where covenants had, had failed because of the people's unfaithfulness, God was saying, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a foolproof uh, covenant that will, a new covenant that will make this dream, this joy set before me, a reality. Isaiah 50, 5 to 11, we're going to read next. This is one of the, what's known as the servant songs. And these were written over 700 years before Jesus came in the flesh. So the, this is one of many, many prophecies that are fulfilled when Jesus came and wrote into Jerusalem. And uh, this is a song, this is a song uh, of Jesus, um, which makes it clear what Jesus had in his mind as he was dr driving on that cult into Jerusalem as the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, save us. So this is Isaiah 50, 5 to 11. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. And this is Jesus speaking. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled at my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame, because he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me, who will condemn me. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires. And of the torches you have set ablaze, this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. As you read this passage, it just 
if you've read the story, and you probably um, met, over many Easter's read the story of what Jesus went through, um, it's just foreshadowed 700 years before he came in the flesh uh, in this passage, plucking out the beard, spitting, cursing, the torches of the people that came to capture Jesus, um, all prophesied here. This is what Jesus had in mind as he was going towards Jerusalem to complete the goal that God in the Trinity with Jesus and the Holy Spirit had set before the foundations of the world to provide a way, a foolproof way for God to have a people unto himself, a new covenant that was, um, that was to take the place of any covenant that had come before it. This morning I want to share with you two stories which I found parallel as we read the Word of God this week, um, the end of Jeremiah and Lamentations and Palm Sunday over 600 years later. And I think... Uh, I, lately, I've been really into this idea of locating ourselves in the history of what God is doing in the world. There, uh, there, were long, there are long periods of time between different events in the Bible. From the beginning of the world until Jesus, um, God was working in, in Adam and Eve. He was working in, in Noah. He was working in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, working in all these different nations for thousands of years, um, maybe more. And then came Jesus Christ came on the scene in probably a little after, you know, A.D. something. They think probably A.D. 3 or 4, not, maybe not exactly uh, zero. And it's now been just under 2,000 years since Jesus came and rose again. And in, in the scope of salvation history, when we think about uh, that Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ, that Jeremiah was written 600 years before Christ, and now it's been just under 2,000 years since Christ came with the promise that he would return you know, we are not living in a lackadaisical time. This is the age of the church where God has, his covenant has been made good and he has done it. He's made a way for him to have, his, have a people unto himself. And God is being patient now, giving the most opportunity for the most number of people to come to know him before the time when he will come back just as he came and finish all that he started and bring justice and bring completion to this world that's so broken and so dark. But it's a mission that we're on, a vital mission. And really, in the context of, of the history of what God has done in salvation, it really has not been too terribly long. There have been longer periods between things that God has done in the Bible. And that's exciting to me, that we are, we're living it. We're, we're a part of this story that God is telling. And so it's so important for us to understand the story, to be able to tell it to each other and understand how to read and understand uh, the Old and the New Testament and the, the, what covenants are and what they mean. But I want to tell you um, the story of Judah uh, as they finally and ultimately rejected worshiping God. They, they rejected God completely. We've been looking at that in our, in our sermons, and it's been pretty dark. It's been pretty depressing. Jeremiah was called the, the weeping prophet because he was just broken over, over his people and praying and interceding, but no one was listening to Jeremiah. And God was telling Jeremiah to demonstrate poetically the things that God was going to do unless they turned to him. He was trying to give them a warning. And Jeremiah had to do so many odd and strange things to show the people what would happen if they didn't turn back to God. But the people continued and persisted in idolatry. There were other prophets besides Jeremiah at the time, but they were false prophets who said, God loves us. We're, we're Everything's fine. That's fine. Go ahead and like worship false gods and go ahead and sin any way you want to. Do what you want. God is so pleased with us. He would never reject his people. It's, it's good. If your parents were Christians, you're good. <laughs> if your grandmother was a praying Christian, you know, you're good. 
You're part of the people of God. No worries. And so there were all these false prophets giving false comfort to people. And it wasn't doing anyone an ounce of good because what do we do when we have a, have a choice between, you know, a true prophet who's saying, you need to change because we all love to change, right? You need to change. You need to turn and walk a different way. You're a new creation. Live into it. Or do we listen to the person that says, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. You're great. You're good. You know, we listen to the happy voices, right? And that's how it was in that day as well. And all of these very convincing prophets were popping up, but they weren't prophets at all. They were false prophets prophesying lies. Up until the time when Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon, which is what God had been warning them would happen for a long, long time before it finally happened. So tragic. So I don't know about you, but I'm inspired by Jeremiah to understand who God is. What are God's ways? What does God want from us? What does he really want for us? Um, What does it look like to really follow him in the midst of a generation that's not that different from the time of Jeremiah? Right? These are things that are very important and, and, and very consequential. So we're going to look at the story of Judah as told by Jeremiah after they had just not listened to him for a very long time, finally completely rejected uh, God and were carried off into slavery, uh, into bondage in Babylon without much hope. Um, the people of uh, Judah were actually given an amazing and hopeful promise of a new covenant while they were and, and many of the things Jeremiah was saying an, another thing they didn't listen to was in Jeremiah uh, 33 where God gave them this promise that there would be a new covenant and we're going to look at that uh, they were told uh, to turn away towards from false gods and turn towards the true God and um, they they were given this this little smack of hope that was really so simple but no one took hold of it. In Jeremiah 33.3, God makes this plea with this idolatrous sinful nation who's rejected him and said to them, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Listen to that. Listen to that. Call to me and I will answer you. Like a, I will definitely answer if you call to me and I will, t- I will tell you unsearchable things you cannot know. But that was, that was not an offer that they took God up on. It reminds me of Jesus' offer. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, it's that offer that Jesus has given us, and sometimes we don't take him up on that. But finally, in Jeremiah 52, Judah refuses to call on God as he offered, turn from their sin. The time is up. And the nation of Judah misunderstood God's seeming inaction in history. They didn't see evidence that he was doing anything. And they thought he would never come and do what he said he would do through Jeremiah. Um, They didn't understand that God is patient and gives every person and every nation a lot of time to repent and turn from their sin before he begins to discipline those he loves for their ultimate good. And this is something that's very relatable to us. You know, we do that too. We we tend to think, you know, I haven't heard from God in a while. haven't seen much of God. You know, maybe I should just keep going the way I'm going. Everything's good. Not realizing that God God is so kind, he's giving us time to reorient our lives, time to repent. Time to follow him. And then we fall sometimes under discipline because God disciplines those he loves. And the scripture says um, that God disciplines those he loves. I'm going to actually read it because it's a beautiful passage. Um, Hebrews 12, 4 to 11, that God, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. 
And have, you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. God is a patient, loving Father, and he gives us so much time to come around to him and follow him. And the Lord disciplines truly only those he loves. I think many times we misunderstand when, when hardship comes into our life, and we, we, we think that... Um, you know, maybe this is a sign that God doesn't love me. But really, everything we go through, it's an opportunity for us to turn to him. Everything God allows into our life to turn to him, uh, no matter what it is. And God is patient. Not only is he loving, he's patient. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in this book of Lamentations, we just got through reading on Friday in Mission 119, in Psalm 137, uh, we, we see the song and the results of total rejection of God and his worship as God's beloved people fall under his discipline after not responding to his call. And the Judah is taken away by, the, by Babylon. And the temple that God had established and given to them through, through the covenant with Moses, the temple, which had the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant in it, which had the holy place, which had the outer courts and all of the utensils, and all of the instruments used in the worship of God, the temple, which was essential for people receiving forgiveness for their sins at that time, the sacrifices pointed to Christ and were a, co a temporary covering for sin, that temple was deconstructed before their eyes. I just can't imagine the, the level of regret uh, that people felt when they finally saw that come to pass. That not only were they falling under um, Babylonian captivity, and being made to uh, march down the road and being taunted by these soldiers. But the very place that God had set his spirit in his presence, the very place where sacrifices were offered for sin, was dismantled and taken away before them. Every type of person in the whole city was taken away, from the high officials to the lowest of peasants. And they all just watched in horror as the temple was torn apart, brick by brick, all gone. In Psalm 137, the, the people are marching, and it says, the soldiers told us, sing the songs of your great God. Sing, the, sing, sing his praises, your, your great God. They're taunting them. Come on, sing, sing your songs. And they, it says they hung their harps in the trees because they couldn't picture 
um, how to how they can possibly worship God. Um, and the, in this time of hopelessness and despair, it seemed to them that all hope was lost, except for those who were listening when Jeremiah was talking. Because in Jeremiah 31, 21 to 34, um, the prophet whom they rejected had said that though they were going into bondage and falling under some discipline for their sins and refusal to follow God, that the promise of God still remained. Even without a temple, the promise of God remained. In fact, the temple was going to become obsolete because God was going to strike a new covenant with his people. A new covenant that's not like the old covenant. Covenants are really important to understand in the Bible. Um, They were agreements struck between two parties. And usually in in the tent community, in the tribal community that the Israelites lived in, the father was the one that had the authority to strike deals. And they would strike all kinds of deals from um, children being married off to property to deals about retribution for different things that happened in justice. Only the father had the authority to strike these deals. Even the authority of adoption, the father had that authority. And the covenants were an agreement where there was some conditional parts of it, where you have to do this or else this will happen. And there were some unconditional parts of it in in the covenants. And covenants were so important in the Bible. And and, and God established his covenant with with Noah. He established his covenant with with, uh, Abraham, the famous covenant. And he established his covenant with David, and he just kept on re-upping this covenant and building on the story of salvation that he was doing. And, and the people just kept on not living up to their end of the bargain. They just, couldn't, they just couldn't seem to get their act together. And so constantly the covenant was being broken, but God was always keeping his end of the bargain. That's, why, that's how we explain God's merciful action and not deserting his people, even when they're being deported. He was holding true to his covenant, that these are my people. The promise and the new covenant that God talks about in Jeremiah, we really need to pay attention to because this is the final covenant. All these covenants built up, built up, built up. And God has made one final covenant with his people. It's it's the same covenant that we live under. It's a promise we should pay attention to because it's for us in our day. It's found in Jeremiah 31. 31.23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, Everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. For both Judah, Israel, and for us, there is hope because God's promise plan, his covenant, extended far beyond the loss of a temple, a temporary temple, and far beyond um, this deported uh, situation. The ultimate promise plan of God was to send Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke 22.20, when he's at the Last Supper that we're celebrating on Thursday, that the cup that we drink from is a representation of the new covenant that God talked about in Jeremiah 31. The covenant in Jesus' blood, which is poured out for us. I love the way that John Soper described this new covenant this past week. It says it's not like the old covenant. So we can't look at the old covenant and say, um, it's, it's similar, it's not the same. This covenant, this covenant is going to succeed where the other one failed. There's going to be success to this covenant. Second, internalization of the law and inward transformation. That, you know, in the book of Acts, we receive the Holy Spirit, and God begins to inwardly transform people and puts his law on their heart so that they can know God without having to go through the ritual of the temple worship. Third, it's for everybody, from children to, to kings uh, to, to presidents and everybody in between. Um, and fourth, the new covenant will deal with sin in a complete and effective way not just covering it over like the sacrifices in the Old Testament temple, but finally and fully dealing with sin, finishing it for good. This is a covenant that we live under. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was talking about the new covenant in his blood. That his blood, unlike the sacrifices that were offered week after week, day after day in the temple worship as a representation of, of uh, what God would do through Christ, this is not just going to cover sin. This is going to deal with sin once and for all uh, for God's people. We know that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the expectations of this new and different covenant because Jesus said that he did. This cup is the new covenant of my blood that's poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And now uh, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus promised that we would have the Holy Spirit, that the law would be inside of us, and that he would be transforming us internally in a way that the old type of worship could never do. And it's for everybody. And it's so that God can finally take hold of the thing that was set before Christ, that motivated him to go into Jerusalem that day, and ultimately to his cross by the plan of God, for God to have a people for himself, finally. And where the Old Covenant failed to do that, Jesus says, this is going to happen. The final provision, sin is dealt with, finally and definitively. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. So let's go back to these people of Judah. As they watched their temple being dismantled, as they hung their harps on the trees, as they saw the fruit of rejecting God, even after years of just explicit warnings and discipline from Jeremiah and many other prophets, as they march into Babylonian captivity. Um, some of them may have remembered Jeremiah's pro uh, promise that there would be a new covenant. Um, 
there is a new wrinkle uh, this time to this new covenant. This time, sin would be dealt, dealt with definitively. It was about to come true through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did on the cross when he came into Jerusalem was the final um, dealing with, with sin. No longer do people have to offer sacrifices year after year. No longer do they have to come to know God through external uh, practices and rites. But everyone can know God from the least to the greatest. Um, the word of God for us today is that this new covenant through what Jesus did, is for us, if we will only take hold of it. Hebrews 3, 15 to 19. We're going to close with this. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to, those, and to whom did God swear that they'd never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you is found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. Um, if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts. Like people have for generations, generations of people ignoring the voice of God, not taking hold of what God has for them, the good things the Father has for them, falling under discipline time and time again. There is a new and better way that's opened up for us through this triumph triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And everyone that believes in what Jesus did uh, in, in the covenant that he struck with us, with humanity, through his own blood, taking on that full uh, faithfulness, um, their sins not, are not only covered, they are done away with altogether. Done away with. And they can know God. Everyone can know him because he's given the spirit to everyone who believes in Jesus. This is the new and better way, but still, we still have that nature that doesn't want to take hold of what God's given to us. But God says, Come. Just like, Jesus, just like Jeremiah said, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Enter my rest. Receive my sacrifice for your sin. Let it be done away with in your life and turn and follow me. Be my people. I will be your God and I'm coming back. As the worship band comes forward to lead us in a, in a closing song, Let's just stay in this moment of Jesus setting his face like a flint, looking at Jerusalem sorrowfully in his heart, saying, if only you had understood what I did for you. But now it's too late, and all of this is going to come to an end. 
I think that same kind of lament is in the heart of God in many different places in Scripture. It's the same lament that God feels with us. Why don't you come to know me? Why don't you look, seek after me? I have made every overture. And now I've done a final thing through Jesus. Look to Jesus. Come to know him. Take hold of why I took hold of you. Because of my great love. And stop living apart from me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Be my people. Join together with others who are my people. Share my love and my message of reconciliation with the world. This is God's heart. Let's just come before him today, recognizing what he's done for us. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for your, your plan that you, you made throughout the ages to save us. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for sending Jesus so that we can finally enter into the rest if we will only listen to your call to each of us. I pray that your people would enter your rest this Easter season. That your spirit would indwell them, that they would know you, God. They wouldn't be running on the, on the fumes of other people who know you. They would know you themselves because you've made a way through Jesus. Cause all I want 
You are the blood-bought uh, children of Jesus if you, if you have faith in what he did for you on the cross. That new covenant. God wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants you to be part of his people. I pray a blessing on you this week that as you consider Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, you would find your place in this story and join uh, with the people that Jesus has purchased by his blood, a peculiar, peculiar people, an odd people, a people belonging to God, a kingdom of priests of God, his people. I pray for your revelation for each heart, God, for your understanding. Please soften hearts, open eyes, that we would see where we fit in the great plan that you have, have of salvation. And we look forward to your return, Father, when you set everything right. We want to be among those who have responded in faith and are walking with you and found, found working when you return, found sharing this good news, a covenant where you took care of sin definitively for all who will turn to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.